everyone, and welcome to Mind Body Green's Clean Beauty School. I am your host and beauty director, Alexandra Ingler. Today, we are going to learn more about grooming habits and mental health, specifically why they are so interconnected and what each can teach you about the other. We know from robust research that mental health and beauty are deeply connected. And that can be both a positive and negative thing. To start, we know that when someone stops practicing their typical hygiene habits, it is a sign that they may be in a depressive state. But changes in hygiene may even be the catalyst for negative mood changes. Meaning, when people stop taking care of their appearance, it may trigger negative emotions. On the flip side, prioritizing hygiene and beauty rituals can help pull people out of depression and improve their mood. But we also know that when taken to the other extreme, meaning focusing too much attention on how you look, that can cause a whole host of other issues. We also know that society's obsession with youth and beauty can be debilitating for some people, causing lifelong struggles with self-image. So it's not an easy conversation, and there are certainly no black and white views on this, but it is a conversation important to have regardless. Today, I'm having on psychologist Dr. Chloe Carmichael to help me understand the nuances. Dr. Chloe, welcome. Thanks, Alex. It's great to be with you. I think a lot of the things that we're going to be talking about today are conversations I'm having with my friends and even just conversations I'm having internally. So, you know, I'm I'm sure a lot of our listeners out there are probably having similar conversations, whether whether it is with other people or whether it's just things that they're thinking about themselves. So, you know, I really, I really think this is going to be an important conversation to be had around the mental health and beauty conversation. But, you know, before we get into that, I would love to have our audience just to get to know you a little bit better. Can you can you share your story with us? You know, how did you decide you wanted to be a psychologist? Sure. So I was actually a yoga teacher before I was a psychologist, and one kind of led to the other. So I was teaching private yoga lessons in Manhattan, which you can imagine I was working with some kind of driven type A people that were also really focused on their own growth in a in a really powerful way. And so I was doing physical, helping them with physical postures, that, but also with meditations that would help them to, say, physically and mentally find balance or find strength or whatever were their goals. And the more I got into that individual work and started really seeing the power of the body-mind connection, I just wanted to go deeper in understanding that. And so that was why I got a PhD in clinical psychology. I think that's so fascinating that it started with, you know, this, like you said, physical transformation, but obviously anybody who practices yoga knows that it's not just that. It is really, you know, the mind-body connection. I'm, I'm assuming that that really informed your practice today. So, you know, can you share with us like what your practice looks like? You know, how do you work with clients? Sure, absolutely. So definitely a lot of mindfulness still. So I started with mindfulness as a yoga teacher, of course, but then the world of psychology is really into mindfulness as well. And one of the really important things about mindfulness is that it helps us to have a clear-eyed look at ourselves. We have to be able to just really be honest and vulnerable about what the issues are or what are the areas that we're struggling with, but also not be so judgmental or reactive to those things that it becomes hard to work on them. And so that's where, for me, the mindfulness piece comes in. I also do a lot of work with wellness and with teams. And since we're talking about beauty, I'm also, I'll share that I get sometimes to work with like beauty queens and models and some Broadway people, which people in entertainment, I think always have such an interesting 
relationship with themselves in their physical sense. Yeah, I can imagine, you know, part of your job is to, you know, be outward facing to people. I'm sure that that puts a lot on on how you view yourself. Is that what you find? It definitely. And, you know, the fact is that it, of course, it's actually true that the way that we present ourselves in the world does matter and it does shape people's reactions to us. Sometimes I think of our personal grooming and the way that we dress ourselves or style ourselves or any of those things as almost a form of extended body language, right? Mm -hmm. So we're actually to a certain degree signaling to the community around us, hey, I care about you. I care about the way that you see me. I care about the way that I'm coming across to you and the signals that I'm sending to you. So to a certain degree, paying attention to the way that we put ourselves together is actually a pro-social behavior. Interesting. I, I wonder how much that has changed in the pandemic and like how people are starting to adjust to coming back to socializing and i don't know putting more putting more work into how they present themselves to the outer world just because i think about my own behavior and i you know getting used to this idea that i i wake up and i put on makeup and i do my hair and i put on an outfit is you know for the past 2 years i wasn't really doing that to the same degree and so getting back into that has been really interesting. Do you, do you find that people have been struggling with kind of putting that piece back into their lives? Yes, I I do think there's a bit of a gear shift, you know, that happens. But I think in many ways it can be positive because, for example, back when people were more stuck in isolation, they were struggling with things like they thought that they could just, you know, skip showers because they're like, well, I'm not around anybody anyway. And they didn't realize that, in fact, in psychology, when a person stops grooming themselves and staying clean, and things like that, their mental health actually becomes at risk. And Mm -hmm. so, yes, on one level, it's a bit of a stress for people that, you know, they're kicking their grooming routine into high gear again. But on the other hand, it's actually kind of nice because it can be a, a time to increase the attention that we put on ourselves and that we get to go out and and be together again in ways that we really were many of us were missing for a long time. Sure. It's it's interesting you bring up the fact that, you know, not paying attention to grooming habits can negatively impact your mental health. Because isn't it true that like one of the signs of somebody who might be suffering from depression is, you know, not showering or, you know, not taking care of those basic hygienic needs. So is it almost like a it's like almost like a circle, you know, it's Absolutely. In fact, there's such a thing as behavioral activation in psychology, because Alex, what you're saying is so true that for someone who has become depressed to the point where they let their hygiene go, in my training, I would work on inpatient units at hospitals. And there would be times when we would have someone come in that would be so depressed that maybe they hadn't showered or washed their hair in a very long time. And before we would, you know, we we would try to talk to the person, obviously, but again, with this behavioral activation, oftentimes what would create the biggest and most immediate and dramatic change for the person was to actually just have them taken to a shower and just be showered and have their hair washed and become clean And that in itself, taking on the behavior of a person who cares enough about themselves to bathe would actually do more for their mood than hours and hours of talk therapy. So definitely the grooming and hygiene part is a powerful piece. So there was actually a 2021 study done on grooming and depression specifically and how the two were linked. The study noted, quote, While issues concerning personal hygiene and grooming by those experiencing depression have been reported in personal narratives, they are rarely included in symptom lists or treatment guidelines, or as an outcome indicator in research studies. 
Findings in this study indicate that for some, personal hygiene and grooming issues were an integral aspect of their depression that negatively impacted recovery, particularly in areas concerned with overall function, mood, social engagement, motivation, self-worth and esteem, and engagement with treatment, end quote. It was an eye-opening study into this aspect of depression, and more information is hopefully to come on the connection. That's so fascinating. I, you know, we're going to be talking so much about this connection throughout this episode, and I just think understanding that even as a basis is like such a, you know, it is a basis to build this whole conversation off of because clearly that connection just exists inherently. So, but I, I'm curious, you know, what, what is your wellness philosophy? Do you have a wellness philosophy? Yeah, definitely. I think that it's really about finding balance between a desire to improve ourselves and nurture ourselves and, on the other hand, learning to accept ourselves mm-hmm. and learning to, you know, just focus on others around us as well. So I think that when we're looking at that social, emotional, physical wellness piece, again, it's that balance between trying to build and grow and trying to find rest and contentment. The next philosophy I want to ask you about is your beauty philosophy. Uh, I normally talk to more, you know, traditional beauty experts in the way that they're hairstylists or dermatologists. But, you know, I'm curious, do you have uh, a way that you or a lens that you view beauty through? Yeah, definitely. So I I personally love love beauty. You know, I, yeah. I also interact with, you know, brands like Lancome or L'Oreal or Tarte. And, you know, I, I, I enjoy that personally myself as well, just as a woman. So I, I do think it's really important for people to feel like they have permission to do that. I never want people to feel like they need to apologize, you know, because they like to wear makeup or, you know, something like that. On the other hand, I know that it can get overwhelming, especially for those of us who maybe have a little bit of a perfectionist tendency mm-hmm. or a little bit of an overdrive tendency, which I do. And I personally uh, actually was in treatment, you know, about two decades ago now, a long time ago at this point, but for a pretty severe eating disorder. Mm-hmm. And I, I, you know, unfortunately think that, that that actually did connect, you know, for me with almost a distorted sense of beauty. So I have put a lot of thought, you know, in, into beauty and to my own personal philosophy around it. And so in the at the end of the day, I guess my feeling about it is that it, it's a wonderful thing and we should feel that we have we don't need permission to explore and to try on and to experiment and enjoy whatever beauty trends we want but we also have to be really mindful of noticing is this really for me or is this coming from some kind of a place of negativity where i feel like i have to quote fix myself when we get into that like fix myself as opposed to like celebrate or enhance or enjoy myself type of a space that's when I think it's time to step back a little bit yeah I thank you for sharing one and I I do agree it's this delicate balance between wanting to relish in in these beauty habits and these beauty rituals but never never wanting to take it to the point where you do you know ultimately end up almost hurting yourself in the process and it is a challenging balance and i want to ask you know is this something that you see come up with people that you work with do do you find that a lot of people struggle with finding this balance Definitely, because I mean, I work with people that are very mentally active, right? Yeah. And so for people who have a lot of mental, you know, activity going on, of course, you know, we we want to be the very best selves that we can be. And that sounds great, just wanting to be your best self. But of course, there is a tipping point, 
you know, where where you can almost start nitpicking yourself a little Mm -hmm. bit. And so that's why I do think it's so important to have that mindfulness aspect where you're able to really notice, okay, as I'm trying out this new beauty treatment or this new makeup or whatever, you know, what are the emotions that I'm feeling? Is it feeling exciting and stimulating? And am I enjoying it? Am I feeling playful? Or does it feel like I'm coming from a sense of shame or a sense of anxiety? Like I have to mask, you know, this big flaw about myself. And if it's in the latter basket, that's when I think it can be more problematic. And, you know, you were connecting that to the work I do you know, with clients and it's very similar. And even clients who don't identify as necessarily being like into beauty, they're still interested in, you know, their, their professional presentation or if, you know, how am I coming across to others? Do, do I look strong and confident? I think that those are questions that most people ask themselves, whether or not they're specifically putting it in the lens of beauty. Sure. You know, the perfectionist piece is something that I have been thinking about a lot lately personally, and I want to talk about this a little bit more just because I know that this is something that a lot of people do struggle with. And and even just personally, I know that this is something that I I tend to feel. And the way that it manifests itself in my life, I find, is that if I'm not feeling that, you know, I'm not good enough in, I don't know, some aspect of my life, like maybe I'm not, I don't know, maybe a project that I'm working on is not going as well as it should. And I'm very frustrated. I tend to take that out almost on, on like my beauty rituals in a way. Like if I, if I feel that I've had a tough day and things didn't go all that the ways that I wanted them to. And I I feel like on some level that I've failed in that way. You know, it's like I find that I go home and all of a sudden I notice every imperfection on my skin, on my face, you know, and it's like, oh, I see this dark spot or I see the bags under my eyes and I see all this, all these things. And I do start nitpicking myself. And I do think that it comes from this place of perfectionism, but it's, it's almost like what's happening in my day-to-day life manifests itself in the way that I'm looking at myself. Does that make sense? Am I, I mean, is this something that like, it's, is this normal? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, definitely. That, yeah. That's, that is, it's such an interesting connection because the, the attitude that we have about one aspect of our day can actually transfer onto other aspects of our day, right? So if you're feeling really like frustrated and angry, then suddenly, you know, you can come home and you can say, and by the way, I don't like the way that my sofa looks either and blah, everything. <laughs> sure. So yes, our, our mental states are definitely transferable. But what's important, Alex, about that, I think, is to be mindful of how that could become dangerous to your own sense of well-being. So for example, if you know that things did not go very well at work for some reason, and then you come home and you find yourself tempted to take that frustration out on whether it be your partner or yourself, the important thing is that you realize it and you realize, wait a minute, I don't want to spiral negativity about one thing onto something else. And there's a couple of important reasons for that. Number one is because obviously you don't want to tear down yourself or others in your in your life. But actually, we also want to make sure that we get the, the benefit of that frustration that Mother Nature intended. So if you do feel an increased sense of energy, which does often come with frustration, around something at work, instead of wasting it by picking apart yourself, I would say, why don't we try to point that frustration in a constructive direction and say, okay, well, let's list out three things that you could do to improve that situation at work. So that way we're using that frustration energy constructively 
Another thing that can be helpful for people who know that they have a tendency, like you said, to do a specific, almost mental routine where when they're frustrated with things at work or with other people, they turn that sense of criticism upon themselves, specifically onto their physical appearance. The good thing about knowing that pattern is that you're better equipped to interrupt and change it. So there's a technique in my book, Nervous Energy, Harness the Power of Your Anxiety. There's a technique called the mental shortlist, where we think of five things in a particular way that are going to redirect our mind. So when you find yourself saying, like, I'm just going to go to town listing all the flaws in myself, and you have the wonderful mental insight of saying, wait a minute, I'm doing it again. This isn't productive. You could instead challenge yourself. I want to think of five things about myself that are special and lovely, or I want to think of five luxurious beauty treatments I can give to myself to take care of myself instead of using that energy to just pick apart myself. Yeah. I think what you bring up about just even understanding that it's happening is obviously a challenge in and of itself. You know, how do you encourage people to, to like, how do you work with people to identify these behaviors in themselves? Is it, I mean, does it go back to mindfulness? Are there specific, like, I don't know, like thought practices that you do with people to help mm-hmm. them get to that point? Yeah. So I think we have to set the stage to make space for those insights because what a lot of people will do is they'll actually become self-critical about their self-criticism. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, you know, obviously that Speak a into the choir. <laughs> yeah. And it and it makes it harder for you for you to even recognize when you're like kind of doing it again because internally you feel like you're just setting yourself up for more criticism. So one thing I encourage people to do is to actually congratulate themselves. It sounds kind of counterintuitive, but to congratulate yourself when you realize that you're in the middle of a negative thought spiral or some, you know, really unproductive self-talk and you're not congratulating yourself for doing it, (laughs) but you're congratulating yourself for realizing it. So you're Mm -hmm. turning that moment into kind of a teachable, growing moment for yourself. You're saying, wow, good for me. I've really caught myself here. I've realized that I'm sitting here picking myself apart for no reason. I'm not going to now get down on myself for that. I'm going to congratulate myself on that awareness. And then I'm going to counter that by doing that mental shortlist technique where I have to now, you know, come up with the five things about myself that I really like the most or come up with, you know, five treats that I can give to myself. And once your brain acclimates to the idea that seeing and registering those negative patterns doesn't just lead to more (laughs) self-abuse, your brain will actually be more open to realizing and locating and spotting those moments when they happen. Yeah, I I love that point. And I I just love talking about this idea of perfectionism and how it like manifests itself in people in different ways, just because I do think people who are in this well-being space can sometimes be perfectionists. You know, if you are a type of person who does gravitate towards bettering yourself, you tend to be the type of person who can go overboard. Is that is that what you find as well? I mean, I feel like that's just what I see often in this space. Definitely. Yes. I mean, I, you know, you asked about my practice earlier and I wrote my book somewhat, you know, out of the things that I was seeing and learning in my practice. And so with that said, there is like literally a whole chapter on perfectionism (laughs) in the book because there is something about a drive for excellence that Mm -hmm. can tap a desire to kind of nail it or to get Mm -hmm. things, quote, perfect. And I try to be kind of open-minded about that, right? I I don't want to have just a knee-jerk reaction 
about perfectionism and say like, oh, well, it's always bad to want to be perfect, right? Because there is a just a small part of us where just in general to be able to say, yeah, well, of, of course, we, it, we, we'd want to be perfect. There'd be nothing wrong with that. The, the problem comes in when we start just really excoriating ourselves and tearing ourselves apart for every little thing that is not 100% perfect, when we can't enjoy getting 97% on an exam because we say, well, where were those other three points? And we just can't enjoy the 97%. So Mm -hmm. I try to take it in balance where it's okay to have that drive for excellence and to be constantly asking yourself, well, what could I do better? How could I grow? But we want to keep it in a constructive sense rather than a heavy-handed self self-critical sense. Yeah. And it's it's almost necessary too for ultimately your well-being because you know you think about I'm just going to bring it back to like a beauty example that I thought of as we were chatting and it's like when you think about hair health for example, right? Like a lot of hairstylists I talk to, they encourage you to embrace a less perfect style because when you want a perfect style that means you are probably flat ironing it too much or you know you're you are wrapping the hair around a curling barrel one too many times you know there's there's almost like a health and an abundance and like in embracing something that's not perfect because you are kind of just like letting the hair be what it wants to be rather than what your idea of a perfect hairstyle is. And I think there's almost like a parallel with how we just live our lives, right? Yes, definitely. I think that, you know, we also want to expand our idea even of like what is perfect sometimes. So to be able to recognize that our own unique features and you know maybe maybe as you said with with hair that our hair has its own you know natural little wave or you know natural little way of doing things that that we can start to see that we don't want to always just be some kind of a cookie cutter almost even bland and boring yeah truly perfect would you know just almost become totally predictable and actually not very intriguing or exciting. So learning to really embrace ourselves in our own natural way, but also practice that really good self-care and that really good grooming so that Mm. we are taking what we have and truly making the best of it and making it shine with love and polishing that we're doing to ourselves that's really truly coming from a place of of self-love rather than, you know, trying to, quote, fix or change ourselves into some societal model of perfection. Yeah, I, I think that's really beautiful. I think you stated that just so, so well. You know, I think we talked a Obviously, in the beginning, we we talked a little bit about this beauty ritual and mental health connection that grooming and mental health are just so innately tied together. And I just want to talk a little bit more about this idea just because I do think it's something that people have have trouble with accepting because we have just been taught to think that beauty rituals are are pure vanity. And if if you spend time on them, then, you know, that 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 says something about you and that something is negative and that's clearly not the case. So I just want to, you know, talk a little bit more about how beauty rituals and mental health are connected. Obviously there's a very innate part of it that there how you take care of yourself can affect your mental health, but you know, are there other areas to explore here? Like can can there be ways that improving your appearance in some respects can ultimately benefit how you view yourself. Like say you have acne or something, can like tending to your acne be overall beneficial for your mental health in the long run? You know, what what's the connection there? Yes, definitely. And I say, I laugh when I say that because, you know, in my teens, I actually personally had acne and yeah. I, you know, ended up taking Accutane and it, and it actually definitely it really helped my self-confidence. 
And I, I do think that, again, it's important for people to feel like, like they have permission to do those things and to not feel shamed for, quote, you know, vanity. I've also worked with people, whether it be that they wanted to have a skin peel or, you know, even say plastic surgery, which is another one that can be so controversial. And it's one of those things where I'm not, I don't have a black and white opinion about it because of course, yes, there are cases where people are doing cosmetic procedures or beauty treatments because they don't accept themselves and because they have some kind of a self-esteem issue that all the beauty treatments in the world are never going to fix. And in fact, those beauty treatments are almost even, you know, just part of their way of acting out their dissatisfaction with themselves. On the other hand, for many people, getting those types of treatments is actually an act of self-confidence, is actually an act of self-esteem of saying, I I want this. I'm going to take actions to to do it. In psychology, we we look at something called self-efficacy, which is your belief in your ability to take action, to make things happen in your life that you Mm. want to happen. So, you know, if somebody's always wanted to, you know, try a certain look or a certain style, but they didn't feel empowered to do it or they were too shy to do it, that to me is actually um, a, a less mentally healthy person than the person who says, hey, I want that. There's no reason I can't have it. I'm going to go out there and, you know, give that a try. And I I feel I have permission and I feel empowered to do that. But so, yes, the issue of vanity and other people's judgments about what we want to do with our own bodies can certainly be a very loaded topic for sure. It is one of those things that people, if they have such strong opinions about, and I'm I'm right there with you. I have no strong opinions about any of these elective procedures or, you know, even things like filler and Botox. Like, you know, I personally haven't done anything in that realm. Like, I haven't had any surgeries. I haven't done filler. I haven't done Botox at this moment. But, like, who's to say how I'm going to feel in 10 years? I don't know. Maybe in 10 years, wrinkles are going to bother me. And, I don't want to judge that person in 10 years who decides to do something just in the same way that I don't want to judge a friend who goes and gets it because it bothers them. And, you know, it's it's definitely a complicated area in beauty because there there are like people have really strong opinions here. Yes. And, you know, the Botox one, Alex, in particular, is actually very interesting because did you know that there have been psychology studies that have shown that actually getting Botox can help improve depression in some people because they are so used to making a frowning face that it just the frowning face becomes almost their default. And sure. our, our brain actually gets information and almost sometimes decides how we're feeling somewhat based on our facial expression. So by getting Botox and stopping the ability to just, you know, have a permanent frown going on has actually been shown to improve the mood <laughs> of some people who, who have had kind of a stubborn depression. Yes, there was one 2017 study about Botox and depression that indicated this outcome. They did find that using Botox strategically to relax the muscles was an effective way to improve mood of those who experienced major depression, as they may stop a negative feedback loop or ease muscle pain in areas like the neck, jaw, upper back, and scalp. However, this isn't true for all people, and the research is still out on Botox overall effects on people's moods and emotions. For example, another study said it can dampen our ability to feel emotions, but only for mild experiences. For stronger emotions, no changes were reported in that study. Then another study said it may affect how we experience empathy. The thought is that because you weaken the facial muscles ability to move and smile and frown and act excited and show sadness, you may be influencing the way you actually experience those emotions and how you experience 
other people having those emotions. Regardless, across the board, researchers note that more studies need to be done before any conclusions can be drawn. So that's, you know, just one thing about about Botox in particular. But I would also point out that, say, even primates, right? So we're talking like, you know, apes and monkeys and those kinds of things. They have actually grooming behaviors as well, as you probably know. They they will groom each other. So this is not even something that's unique to humans. We are kind of hardwired for this. And, you know, monkeys and apes, they will do that. And it has been shown for them to reduce tension and stress. It also can increase bonding behaviors, right? Mm-hmm. So when you go to the salon, the hair salon, or the eyebrow girl, or you know the makeup, whatever you have, and that person, you know, puts their hands on you in a gentle way, and you know, touches you and sees you and invests their their TLC time on you, that can actually be a very positive experience. Oh, I mean, for sure. To to share something personal about myself, I remember I was going through a time where I was, you know, I was pretty depressed and I, I, I have long curly hair and it takes a lot to wash it. And when I, at this time, you know, I I just wasn't, I was showering, but I wasn't washing my hair consistently. And I remember it got to this point that like, it was so naughty and it was like so oily that like, it almost became like overwhelming to even, I was just like wearing it back and like hoping that nobody noticed. And Mm -hmm. it got to this point where I was like, I don't even want to tackle this. And I booked myself a blowout at this salon in my neighborhood. I'd never been there before. I just like I walked in. I was like, I just, you know, I need a blowout. Like, and the owner of the salon, she was like, Yeah, I, you know, I have about like 45 minutes. I can definitely fit you in really quickly. And she put me, you know, in the bowl. And, or I'm sorry, at first she sat me down and she's like, What do you want for the blowout? And I was like, Honestly, just like whatever. I just, you know, like I haven't washed my hair in a while. I just, you know, and I think she could tell that I was that I was really self-conscious. And I think she could tell that I like felt bad about the situation. And, you know, I just remember she just so gently put her hands on my shoulders and she says, don't worry. You know, sometimes things like this are hard. I'll take care of it. I'll Mm -hmm. wash it. It's going to be okay. And she took me over the bowl and she just gave me the most beautiful scalp massage that I've ever had. Mm -hmm. And like, I like, I mean, I like, I almost like, I'm like getting teary up, like thinking about this moment because it like, it was so profound for me that somebody just like saw that I was in pain and like wanted to take care of me, you know? And it was just a really beautiful moment. And like, it's just, I think about it all the time and like, you know, this stuff isn't vapid and to your point, like people connect over it and it's important, you know? Definitely. It's, it can be so nurturing and so healing. I mean, as well, for example, with battered women, like it's, you know, not uncommon to have, like, I think it was, I don't know if it was Glam Squad or, you know, the, I, I remember one of the beauty places had at one point even partnered with, with a battered women's support center. And they were just, you know, offering makeovers, you know, to, to these battered women because some of them had become just so negative and so emotionally abused by their partners and their self-esteem was uh, really hurting. And so to have somebody, like you said, just give them that gentle, loving touch and to say, I see you, I see the beauty in you, and I'm just going to do a few things to accent it and nurture it and bring it out. It can be very loving. It really can. You know, I, I think it's like such a an important ritual and it's an important means of connection. And, you know, it's it's one of the reasons that I love beauty and I love talking about this stuff. The next thing I wanted to to bring up is is this idea around aging. It, this is something that I've been thinking a lot about lately. And I think people have anxiety around aging in general. I think that's natural and human, but I think it manifests itself in beauty in such a unique way because in beauty you know we we have tools to to you know stop the appearance of aging whereas you know 
we all age regardless. So I guess I'm just more curious about your perception on this like almost interesting connection between the anxiety around aging and then the anxiety around wanting to fix the appearance of aging. Is this something that like you come across? Is this, I mean, is there something there? I'm just, I'm curious about it because I've been thinking about it so much. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think a a lot of people do have anxiety about that because, for example, many studies, again, have shown that attractive people say they, they get paid more, they'll have more social capital, you know, those kinds of things. So there's, you know, definitely a, a professional wisdom even for, for people to practice that, you know, certain kind of grooming or studies have also shown that women who wear light makeup, not heavy makeup and not no makeup, but that women who wear light makeup, you know, tend to get, get the most positive rankings and in professional evaluations. So because we also happen to live in a society that sometimes looks at aging as separate or counter to beauty that that we think of youth as as being part of beauty, which, you know, from an evolutionary psychology perspective, I can actually kind of understand because we think of youth as being connected to fertility. And mm. from an evolutionary psychology perspective, beauty and attraction is all just part of Mother Nature's plan to get us to reproduce, right? Sure. <laughs> so when, when we do start to show signs of aging from an evolutionary uh, psychology perspective, the thought is, you know, that that our fertility is declining and will be therefore, you know, less attractive to mates and have less social power. So I, I can understand why it feels like a piece on the chessboard for some people. However, the good news is that we are no longer living in the caveman times. <laughs> and, you know, like those those almost like holdovers from from the past don't need to control us anymore. And sometimes it can be just helpful to articulate them consciously and say, oh, okay, this is just a mental trick that my caveman brain is playing on me. (laughs) And just saying it consciously can help us to overcome it. I think also it can be very helpful to connect with positive role models around aging. So, you know, whether it be, you know, Christy Brinkley or Halle Berry or, you know, just so many of the women that we get to see now that are strong and but that are also aging, we can start to delink the idea, you know, that that getting older necessarily means, you know, letting yourself go, because I think a lot of how we look is also a product of the energy that we put into ourselves. And while I also do think it's perfectly fine to say, well, I don't think I have to look like Christy Brinkley or Halle Berry when I age. Maybe I just, you know, want to let that happen in a very natural way and just, you know, embrace that process and find the beauty in that. I think that's absolutely fine, too. But sometimes the fact of all the options that we have now can almost make people feel, you know, like they have to think it through more than they used to. Sure. I want to get to this uh, part of the discussion where I talk about how you take care of yourself and, you know, how you practice what you preach. So why don't we start with how you take care of of your body? You know, what are your wellness habits? Why don't we start with, you know, how how you move and how you and how you work out? Obviously, you're a yoga instructor, so I am sure this is very important to you. So, you know, what what is your what is your movement routine? Sure. So I like to mix it up. I definitely am a big fan of listening to your body. So there have been chapters in my life when I've been a total gym rat. <laughs> and there have been chapters in my life where I've I've actually really consciously avoided like any type of exercise because I felt like my body was just saying no more <laughs> for a little while. So I, I do think it's important to listen to your body. But for me at this particular time and really throughout my life, I've always been a fan of strength. So just, you know, whether it be, you know, through lifting weights or, you know, other yoga, just being able to build muscle. To me, I just think it's really important. 
And lately, what I've been doing to stay fit as well as indulge my love of nature, which also really um, helps stress a lot, is I have been wearing a weighted vest during long walks. And it is amazing. My Fitbit tells me that like I can go on like a 20 minute walk and I can have 18 minutes of it in the fat burning zone simply wow. by wearing a weighted vest. And I will say, I think the yoga teacher in me wants to let everybody know that I think the weighted vests are better than like weighted ankle and wrist weights because those have been shown in some cases to be hard on people's joints. But okay. a really close tight fitting weight vest for me has been a real winner lately. <laughs> I, I love that. I'm a big walk taker and I use that as a big part of my movement routine. So I will definitely look into a weighted vest. You know, what What do you do for your nutrition? How does that play a role in taking care of yourself? Sure. So I, I will talk about nutrition, but I want to share one other quick thing also about the movement piece because oh, I know please. for some people, they can just feel like a little overwhelmed by it. And so when I'm feeling overwhelmed by it, but I also still want to just do something, I do what I call a 10-10-10 morning where I'll do 10 push-ups, 10 sit-ups, and 10 squats and it really, obviously, you can imagine it takes like less than five minutes. But by just doing that 10, 10, 10, it actually does put like a little spring in my step and it makes me feel like I got my day started off right. So that's helpful for me. As far as nutrition, I'm a really big one for protein. I think that goes for me with um, the strength piece. I just feel like if I can keep my muscles strong then I just tend to have more energy. So I always make sure I get my protein. I love also to have my skim milk because I'm actually vulnerable to osteoporosis. So I like to make sure that I get my my skim milk in. And I will say I'm also a fan of, of libations. I'm not someone who's afraid to have a cocktail or a glass of wine, but I make sure like I love to have Tito's and soda because it doesn't have too many carbs or I'll have if I have white wine, a lot of times I'll have it cut with like some club soda so that it, it cuts the calories and the sugar. But and I'm somebody who always loves to sip. Like I'm just, you know, if I have a drink in front of me, it's gonna be gone in 10 minutes because I'm just always bringing it up to my lips and sipping it. So the smart thing for me is to make sure I put some club soda and have a weak drink. <laughs> And then obviously, you know, how do you take care of your mental health? And, you know, what are some of your practices that you that you personally do? Mm -hmm. So I actually, going back to those walks again, it's yeah. amazing to me. Being on a walk in nature has definitely been shown in many psychology studies to really help people's stress and, and well-being. So definitely the walks. And if I like to go on a long walk and plan it so that I can do a cell phone call with a good friend during that time. Because when we're walking, it actually causes a, what psychologists call bilateral brain stimulation. It forces you okay. to be using both sides of your brain. And many studies have shown that we actually think about topics in a different way. We literally get a new perspective if we discuss them while we're in motion walking. So for me, as far as my mental health and my stress, I'll connect with people because social support is really key also to my mental health and being in motion and being in nature. And then also maybe talking about a topic that's, you know, stressing me out. I can do all those things at once during a walk with a friend on a cell phone. So that's a big one for me. Also, I have been in some form of therapy or coaching, you know, for basically my whole life. And I just personally find that that's a really good way, you know, for me to stay centered. I also love audiobooks and journaling. I could go on all day, <laughs> Alex. I just obviously I'm a mental health aficionado. Yeah. And it sounds like you really do practice what you preach. You, you know, you follow along all the recommendations that you've been giving us through this entire episode. So you know, I, it's it's always refreshing to hear that, you know, you are right alongside with us on that mental health journey. But, you know, this is a beauty podcast, so I can't let you leave without getting your beauty routine. Do you have any grooming rituals that you always stick to? 
Yes, definitely. So I am a beauty lover. I'm also a working mom. So I have a five-year-old. And so I, I like to look and feel my best, but I don't always have like endless amounts of time. So one thing I really love is the Laura Mercier uh, tinted moisturizer that has okay. uh, sunscreen in it because I just put that on every single day and I know I'm protecting my skin as well as, you know, just giving like a nice even little glow to my face. Also, another thing I love that saves me so much time is I have a like a, a magnetic thing that just holds all of the magnetic powders that I want to use. Oh, and cool. so that way I don't have to pick up a bunch of different little compacts and open up each one and close it. And it saves me so much time when I just have that magnetic palette and then I can grab a brush and every day after I put on that moisturizer, I just definitely always do a little bronzer, a little powder and a little blush. And then if I have a few extra minutes, I'll do just like a little bit of eyeliner and like I definitely also every day like the eyebrow, just a clear clear eyebrow groomer because I have very strong eyebrows that will get crazy otherwise. <laughs> I also love a little eyelash curler. Somebody p what once said that it's almost like opening up the shades on your eyes. Yeah. And it's so true. If I just do like a little eyelash curler and a primer and a little mascara, like the whole thing because of that nice little magnetic pan, I can get it all done in like less than 10 minutes. <laughs> I love that. I, I love that you're a beauty girl and I love that you also, you know, practice what you preach. And I love that you joined me today to share all of your great advice. I think this was such a great conversation. I personally feel better after having had it. So mm. I hope that people listening um, were able to, you know, feel more refreshed and uh, more connected after after listening to us because you know this is these are all important conversations to be had and i just thank you so much for joining me today thanks alex the pleasure was mine hey everyone thank you so much for coming by and listening to today's episode if you liked this episode and you like this podcast in general don't forget to rate and review us and I will see you next week.